Today's reading is from Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 to 10. Now, when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them. He said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. Oh, it's fairly blinding here. Good morning. Happy New Year. It's very good to see you. And I want to say thank you for coming this morning. I wasn't quite sure how many people would be here this morning, um, but it makes all the difference in the world to look up and actually see your smiling faces. I can't see they are smiling, but that's what I'm telling myself. (laughs) Behind the masks are smiling, warm faces, hungry for the presence of the Lord and ready to be blessed. Yes, what's not to like? And to you online, we're glad you're online, but we'd rather you were here. And we look forward to you returning. Let's pray that God would speak to us from the scriptures today. Would you join me in praying? Father God, thank you for the scriptures. We're told the unfolding of your word brings light. And we pray this morning that you would bring light into our lives. Teach us in the way we should go. Send your Holy Spirit to help me as I speak and help all of us to hear what you're saying and to say, yes, Lord. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Imagine yourself at the end of this year, at New Year's Eve, and you're gathered together with friends and you have a chance to review the last 12 months, the 12 months now lying ahead of us. Wouldn't it be great if when it came to your turn, you were able to say, this has been a year in which God has really blessed me. This has been a year in which God has really blessed me. I think that that sounds good news to me. And I pray it will be true for me and I pray it will be true for you. And our topic right at the beginning of this year is to examine for a few weeks running the kind of life that God can bless, the kind of life that God really can bless. Did you know that Jesus taught about this subject and he lays it out? You probably did know because you're a Bible literate lot that at the very beginning of what has come to be known as the Sermon on the Mount, found in Matthew chapter 5, the biggest collection of Jesus' teaching that we have in one place, he begins with eight characteristics of a life that is blessed. 
And that's what we're going to look at together over the next few weeks. Now, as we approach this Sermon on the Mount, and certainly as I approach preparing this talk, I couldn't help but feel a, a, a certain, not apprehension exactly, but a certain sense to take note. Careful, Rupert, you're heading towards very, very precious holy territory. It, it's a bit like, using my imagination, a bit like I might have felt, suppose that Beethoven had wandered into my sitting room and I had a piano there and he sat down to improvise. You kind of think, wow, this is different. Or if Einstein had ambled along when you were a student and said, you know, let me give you a bit of private tuition. I thought actually those two were a bit highbrow. So, or Mary Berry came into your kitchen and said, pass the flower. Or imagine all those three things happening at once. And I would say not even those would have the impact of this sermon. Because if we were sitting there in the crowd that day, Actually, as uh, it's more likely, we'd been standing there, and Jesus, who sat down to teach, we could try that. You know, I'll sit down to teach, and you stand up. But I don't think it'd be very popular. But as you're sitting there, God is about to speak. The Son of God here is going to teach, and what's He going to say? What's His opening gambit going to be? We know there are crowds listening, and the reason the crowds have been listening is because He's been healing people. He's been traveling around the area and people are now following him from all over the place. And now he begins to speak. And what is it that he says? He begins his sermon like this. I've got great news for you. Have I got really good news for you? Yes, I have. And actually, if there are any aspiring preachers here, every sermon ought to be like that. If you haven't got good news to share, you shouldn't be talking. And he begins, he begins with, nine characteristics of a person that can be blessed. And you just had them read to you. I'll just recap over the first few. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. So this leads us straight to the very first point, which is, so what does it mean to be blessed? And what is this word that's translated blessing or blessed are? Blessed are the so-and-so, which we've come by that strange word, the Beatitudes. What, what does it mean to be blessed? Well, as you know, Jesus spoke Aramaic and his words were translated and recorded for us in Greek. And the Greek word here is a word makarios, and very literally, it's often translated happy. But William Barclay and other commentators point out that the English word happiness really isn't all that appropriate. And it gives its own case away because it contains the root word hap, which means chance. And we sometimes use it like that. We say something like this, it so happened that, meaning it's so chanced that. And human happiness does depend on chance, whereas Christian blessedness doesn't. Christian blessedness is completely unassailable. It's reliable and it's constant. That's what makes it so valuable. So I've got this question for you for a second. 
What would God's blessing look like in your life? What would it mean if God were to bless you in life? What do you think your life would look like? I think if I stop, you know, Mr. and Mrs. Miss Average walking down uh, the street and said, what do you think a life blessed by God would look like? I think most people would say something like this. A life of material prosperity. That'd probably be the first thing. A trouble-free life. A life in which people take notice of me. A life without struggle, without pain. A life without uncertainty. A life in which things turn out as I want them to turn out. A life that's long on years and short on anxiety. And they might say, and when these things happen, I'll give thanks to God for his blessings. Well, it's challenging. Because not one of those things make it onto the list of blessings that Jesus highlights here or anywhere else. Hard as you look, hard as I look, you won't find a beatitude in the Sermon on the Mount or anywhere else that says, blessed are you when you have a life without struggle. And none of those things on the list I just read out describe Jesus' life, do they? He he didn't have a life of material prosperity or a troubled-free life or a life without uncertainty. No. No. When it comes to it, what this word blessing means in the scripture is this. Blessing is what happens when you live close to God. When you come under his rule. That's at the very beginning and end of these blessings. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. If you want to be blessed, if I want to be blessed, that is the thing that we need in our lives. Blessing is found in the kingdom of God. Every single one of these beatitudes leads to God's blessing. Now, a little word of reality here. I'm not saying, no one is saying, that wealth can't bring you pleasure. Of course it can. I'm not saying that health isn't a very desirable thing. We'd be crazy not to want health. And it isn't necessary to deny that pleasure can be found in many places in the world. But Jesus, at the start of this sermon and throughout his life, extends an invitation to come to him and says, it's when you're close to me, when you're living in my kingdom and we're living in partnership, that is when fullness of life starts. And I just want to lay it out straight because it's going to become so obvious week by week that if you want an easy life, if you want a comfortable life, If you want a life without struggle or opposition or testing, just keep well away from Jesus Christ because he promises no such thing. Many years ago, I went with my family on a holiday abroad and to a place where some friends had been a couple of weeks before. And actually, my children were quite young and um, we were on this holiday as a a gift from my parents who were taking us away. And... um, Our friends who'd been there two weeks before said, we had an idea. We thought it'd be fun for you to have a treasure hunt. So we've been around the city and we've put little bits of treasure for your children to find. And when you pick up each bit of treasure, you'll find the instructions where the next one is. And I think you can look at these Beatitudes as God's treasure hunt. 
from one, you live out one and it leads you to the next one and the next one and the next one. And they all lead us closer and closer and closer to God. Or if that doesn't appeal to you, you can think of it like steps on a ladder. And what is the first piece of treasure? Or what is the first step on the ladder? It's what we're going to look at now. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And the very first step towards making meaningful contact with the king is an admission on our part of being powerless. An admission on our part of being powerless, because that's what it means to be poor in spirit. William Barclay's transliteration is, blessed is the one who's realised his or her own utter helplessness and who has put his whole trust in God. Powerlessness and dependence are the key to starting on a spiritual journey or even continuing on the spiritual journey because Jesus is teaching disciples at this time So if if you're already a follower of Christ, it's still part of what we need. And actually, this is what's drawn me to want to preach on these blessings now. Because I think this is a great time for us to approach God, as surely most of us, if not all of us, over the last couple of years, have had our self-reliance knocked through the whole COVID experience. And it's a common experience for most of us to have to reassess and realise that there are areas of life we just can't control. There are things that have gone on in life that we wish hadn't, and they've knocked us for six. Our stability is, is not where it was. We've been shaken out of our comfort zone. It's now as easy as it's ever going to be to turn to God and say, do you know I am powerless? I am poor in spirit. And this is what needs to happen if God's going to be able to bless us. I know this is not popular with the world. I know that from cradle to grave, we're basically trained and encouraged to think of ourselves as living by our own wits, entirely self-sufficient. That's what is heaped on us as, as the good life. But it's not what Jesus is saying. And if you look through scripture, you will find the way into his company, the way to fulfillment with God, starts with being humbled. Let me give you a few examples. Do you remember a guy in the Old Testament called Naaman? Naaman was a a really seriously big cheese. He was a general in the Syrian army. And he had one problem. He had leprosy. And we can read in the book of Two Kings that he hears that God is doing amazing work through the prophet Elisha. And he sends off an envoy and and says, um, will you heal? Will you come and heal Naaman, the general? And Elisha sends someone and says, no, um, I'm not going to come and heal him, but tell him if he will go and dip in the river and he will dip into the river seven times in the Jordan, he will be healed. And when Naaman hears this, he says, no way. What a daft thing to do. I don't understand. How can dipping in the, in the river do any good at all? And why the Jordan? We've got perfectly decent rivers back in, in my land. And one of his servant girls went to him and said, if a prophet had told you to do some great thing, wouldn't you have done it? How much more when he tells you, wash and be cleansed? And so Naaman went down and dipped himself in the Jordan seven times, as God had told him to do. 
and his flesh was restored and he became clean as a child. Do you see what's gone on there? He, he has had to admit his powerlessness, his dependence, his brokenness. And when he does that, it's the first step to being blessed. You need to empty yourself to get to the end of yourself. And the big challenge for me as I speak, the big challenge for you as you listen, the big challenge for all of us as we read this, is how? How do we bring this realization home? Because frankly, every part of us, and the Bible would put this down to what's called sin, every part of us wants to say, no, I am not powerless. In fact, you'll find every part of the Sermon on the Mount will challenge us because it leads us right away from what we think common sense is. Well, I, I can think of, of two ways that we might get towards an appreciation of our powerlessness. And sometimes just illustrating areas where we're powerless might do it. So I'm going to have a crack at that. Here are some areas I think it's pretty obvious we're powerless. When it comes to wisdom and understanding... Don't things go on in the world and don't things go on in your world where you say to yourself, what on earth is going on here? And where do I turn to in this situation, in this mess? How do I get understanding? And actually the song that we sang, which was meant to be, I think, aimed at children, but it, it, it's this case for all of us, tells us what to do. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him, and he'll make your path straight. And Proverbs 14, 12 says, There is a way that appears to be right, but in the end it leads to death. And haven't we all experienced that from time to time? You know, you have to make a decision, and um, you make what you think is a good decision, you grab it, and you run with it, and it doesn't turn out as you thought it would. And it turns out what you thought glitters as gold is the seeds of destruction. But it's very, very easy to work out where you are in the barometer of, of walking in God's ways towards blessing because we're told in Scripture the place to go for guidance is not your own head, not your own heart. Don't lean on your own understanding. Seek truth in God's word. So a little reality check, rather like I did a COVID test before coming into church, you can do a reality check, a test of how dependent you are on God or how independent you are of God are you going to God's word for guidance? And when he speaks to you, do you say yes, Lord? I mean, I, I'm sort of preaching to the converted here, so I, I know you wouldn't be here if you weren't hungry for this. But it's good to remind us this. And, and when you pray and read the scriptures, are you saying, Lord, give me understanding? Because without it, I'm, I'm, I'm broke. That's... that's one very simple area, just are you dependent on God for wisdom and understanding? Here's another area. Strength and resource, energy or power. Have you noticed, I'm sure you have, that you and I can't achieve anything God wants us to achieve without his help? You know, we agree when we enroll to be a follower of Christ, we agree to be ambassadors for him, we agree to be his servants, his children. And he commissions us and he tells us to do things like heal the sick. Well, you can't do that in your own strength. He tells us to share the gospel. We want to see people converted. You can't do that in your own strength. He tells us to understand scripture and you can't do that in your own strength. 
He tells us to love the unlovely, and you'll soon get worn out trying to do that in your own strength. He tells us to forgive people in the same way we've been forgiven, and we can't do that in our own strength. He tells us to pray, and we can't do that in our own strength, etc., 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 etc. So you find yourself, if you're honest, broken, saying before the Lord, Lord, I'm dependent on you for strength. And the good news is he's got it. He says he gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Even young people grow tired and weary, but those who trust in the Lord will renew their strength. Do you see what I'm doing? I'm just lobbing up illustrations of different areas where if we were honest for a nanosecond, we'd say, Lord, help, help, I'm broken. Help, I'm powerless. And Jesus begins his sermon saying, blessed are the powerless, because theirs can be the kingdom of God. Or another area, very, very quickly, it's just a simple area of obedience. To resist the pull of the crowd. You know, scripture teaches us that when you set out to follow Christ, you are choosing to go down a very, very narrow road. And there are very few people on it. Jesus says, enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And many people enter through it but small is the gate and narrow the way that leads to life. And it's a huge challenge in our day. It's a huge challenge. Some people don't even advocate this anymore. They say, look, um, if, if the church is too different from the world, you'll never get any followers. But I agree with the comment of a friend that says the church has leant over so far towards the world, it's fallen in. And in the history of the church, it's when God's people stand out that people are drawn. It's our difference God at work in our life, salt and light. But it's hard because, frankly, they're, they're named the world, the flesh, and the devil are going to pull at us like a huge, huge gravitational pull over in one area. You can't resist it effectively. You don't have the capacity to resist it alone. We need one another, as a matter of fact. That's why I'm, I'm longing for church to gather as people and not just online because we need contact with one another where we can see how we're doing where we can encourage each other where we can pray for one another where we can build each other up the whole area of obedience now i've gone on long enough about some of those areas of powerlessness and sometimes that just doesn't do the trick that there's a sort of stick and carrot to this just browbeating people and saying don't you realize how powerless you are doesn't always work because we kind of flinch and just go, ugh. But there is another way. The other way is just to compare yourself to Jesus Christ. Just take yourself aside and read a gospel, a part of a gospel, and think about the character that is being described to you in Jesus Christ. Or go to the most popular chapter of the whole of Scripture, 1 Corinthians 13, about love, which describes Jesus Christ. And as you do that, with the Holy Spirit's help, it's just possible that God will show you there's a big gap between the way you're doing life, even in your best moments, and the character that you have, even when you think you're in your best moments, let alone the worst, are a far cry from the life of Jesus Christ. And you will realise at that point quite how poor you are. That's what happened to Simon Peter, isn't it? on that fishing trip recorded for us in Luke chapter 5. You know, Jesus said, go and put out into the deep. And he starts arguing and says, why? You know, I've been working hard all night. But when he catches those fish, he looks at Jesus. He thinks, 
Ah, there's the most massive difference between you and me. And at that point, he says, get away from me, Lord, because I'm a sinful man. What's going on at that point? At that point, he realizes how poor he is. Why? Why am I rehearsing all these things to you? Because it's as we edge towards brokenness that we discover this is the gateway to God's life of blessing. The sacrifice of a broken heart, says God, I will not despise. The biggest barrier between us and blessing is ourselves so often. God can bless us when we come before him broken, but he can't bless us when we're full of ourselves. It's as simple as that. And we can be so deceived. So long ago, in the book of Revelation, the Holy Spirit told John to write to the church in Laodicea, you say, I'm rich, I've acquired wealth and don't need a thing. But you don't realize you're wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, naked. So I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so you can become rich and white clothes to wear so you can cover your shameful nakedness and salve to put on your eyes so you can see. Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. No one enjoys being broken down to this level, none. But an accurate assessment of our powerlessness is the first rung on the ladder, whether we like it or not. I suppose I could summarize it like this. Going through the high dependency unit is the first step to experience God's intensive care. And there's no shortcut. Let me give you one other quick example from the scriptures and then one, not from the scriptures and then our plays. Do you remember the character Jacob in the Old Testament? The, the twister, Esau and Jacob, that guy, who robbed his brother of his birthright. And then he lives a fairly extraordinary life. You might remember his life for many twists and turns. And he works for a man called Laban for seven years. He gets fobbed off marrying the wrong person. Then he works another seven years and he gets Rachel, his heart's desire. And he becomes very, very rich and wealthy and he owns lots of things and he's prosperous. But always lurking in the back of his mind is this dread that he hasn't got on and can't relate to his brother Esau. And then in a tense part of the story in Genesis chapter 32, he gets together with his two wives and all his possessions and his maidservants and his sons and he crosses the ford and then Listen to this. After he had sent across the stream everything that he had, all his friends, all his relatives, all his possessions, Jacob was left alone. And a man wrestled with him till daybreak. And when the man saw he couldn't overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched and he wrestled with the man. And the man said, let me go because it's daybreak. But Jacob replied, I won't let you go unless you bless me. And the thing is, right at that point, Jacob is in a condition to be blessed because he's been stripped down to absolute nothingness. Everything he possesses is now over the river 
and all he has is the clothes that he's dressed in. And he fights it out with God. Sometimes, sometimes, it is through the unexpected twists that we realize our poverty of spirit and we begin to get into a place God can bless. Some of you might remember a man called Quentin Hogg, better known as Lord Hailsham. He died actually in 2001, aged 94. And he was, by any standards, uh, a man of remarkable achievements and renown. He was a Knight of the Garter, he was Companion of Honour, he was Privy Councillor, he was a QC, he was a Fellow of the Royal Society. And I remember hearing him being interviewed on Desert Island Discs. And um, Sue Lawley, who was doing the interviewing, asked him, as the highest judge in the land, what will you do when you face your maker on the last great day, as I know you believe you will? What will you say to him is your greatest achievement? And this is what he replied. I will do nothing but throw myself on the mercy of the court. There is nothing that would justify me before the face of almighty God. And then he read a poem that he'd written. Father, before this sparrow's earthly flight ends in the darkness of a winter's night, Father, without whose word no sparrow falls, hear this, thy weary sparrow, when he calls. Mercy, not justice, is his contrite prayer. Cancel his guilt and drive away despair. Speak but the word and make his spirit whole. Cleanse the dark places of his heart and soul. Speak but the word and set his spirit free. Mercy, not justice, still his constant plea. And so shall thy sparrow, crumpled wings restored, soar like the lark and glorify the Lord. Let's pray together. God says to the prophet Isaiah, these are the ones to whom I will look and favour. Those who are humble and contrite in spirit, who tremble at my word. He also said words that Jesus picked up and quoted, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. And Father, reflecting on this first blessing, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. We thank you for reminding us the reality of the situation, that everything that we have comes from you out of your loving kindness, that a broken and contrite spirit you will not despise, and we echo the words of the hymn that says, nothing in my hands I bring, simply to your cross I cling. Naked come to thee for dress, helpless look to you for grace. Foul I to the fountain fly, wash me, Saviour, or I die. Amen.